0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of your Royal Blue Podcast. Today we'll be reflecting on Everton's 3-2 win over Wolves at the weekend, the end of the European transfer window, and some pretty positive signs from Marco Silva's team overall. I'm your host Sam Carroll and today I'm joined by Chris Beasley, Dave Prentice and our Everton reporter, Adam Jones, who was at the game at the weekend. So, Adam, we'll we'll start with you. Another win uh, at home. Six on the trot now, is it?
2: Yeah, six wins.
1: Do you think Everton will will value for money for
2: the win? Uh, In the end, just about, yeah. I think it's so different to... You know, what we were treated to, in, you know, especially in the first couple of games of the season. <laughs> what,
1: are you, what are you doing? I'm kind of looking at you through the, through the <laughs> headphones. I'm just not going to make eye contact. It's like again. you're
2: trying to put me off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so different than what we were seeing first two games of the season. You know, in those first games of the season, we were seeing Everton struggle to create chances. When they were creating chances, they were struggling to put them in the back of the net. Uh, it was so, so different uh, against Wolves. Silver switched it up. Uh, he, of faith in the front four that started against Lincoln, which I think was absolutely the right call, and it proved to be like that front four looks so much more fluid, uh, looks so much more comfortable in playing together, you know, switching in between positions. Um, I think we saw that for all four goals, really. It uh, all for all three goals, wishful <laughs> thinking, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at the other hand, like at the back, it every time Wolves went forward, they were causing havoc, yeah. especially. In the first half, down the flanks, I think Coleman and Dean really, really struggled in a defensive sense. I think Dean, like for that first goal, not quite sure what he was trying to do to stop Adama Traore. To be honest, he just didn't, didn't see, do anything, did yeah, he? Just, he just stood let there, him walk stood past there and let him run past him, and then obviously Coleman misjudged the flight of the ball, and then there's there's one 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 at the time uh, for the second goal. Dean gets the run, gets the run on him by uh, Jimenez, and that that was two two. So. Now, there's, there's still some concern and signs there for Marco Silva, but all in all, I think he'll be you know, fairly pleased with the performances I put in.
1: Do you think that's what it is, Dave? I think Adam wrote it in his analysis after the game. Everton striking a balance now. You know, it's all well and good scoring the goal's down one end, but, you know, we made it a lot harder than it should have been, really, at the weekend, yeah, I think. it, it was
0: almost like a, a flip side to what we saw in the first couple of games, wasn't it, where, you know, defensively, we were very, very sound yeah. and yet struggled to create, whereas it was the complete opposite at the weekend. Thoroughly enjoyed the game and um, I think selecting that front four did make such a difference. Guilfi Sigurdsson looked a better player from the word go. Because it's almost like he had, you know, sort of more options. People were more fluid, you know, sort of moving better around him. Absolutely glorious cross uh, for the for the Iwobi goal, topped only by Lucas Dean's cross for the winning <laughs> goal. What a cross that was! Absolutely sensational. But you know, defensively he was he was a bit all over the place to be honest. And it was uh, it's trying to get the balance absolutely right. I mean, Keane. And, and Mina looked decent together. It was the fullbacks that struggled a little bit. But let's give Wolves some credit. They're a good side. Uh, yeah. You know, so they cause a lot of teams' problems. They gave United all the problems they could handle, you know, so sort of not that long ago. Um, so, yeah, you've got to bear that in mind as well. I just sort of hoped that they would flag a little bit in the last quarter, given the exertions on Thursday night against Torino. And I wouldn't say they flagged, you know, so I'd like to give the credit to Everson for showing character. And again, that was something that, you know, so the manager talked about afterwards. There were a couple of occasions last season where we conceded goals and just fell flat. It didn't actually recover, didn't show character. That was quite the opposite this time. They dug in and and they came again and, and scored goals. So it's a big win, you know. So it's a team that we need to try and reel in, you know, one of our top six rivals, if you like. And it got a very, very important victory against them. So, yeah, just build on that. You know, it's great to go into an international break with such a good win. You know, so under your belts, briefly in fifth. You know, so obviously slipped down a little bit after the Arsenal Spurs results. But in a decent position now, with, again, a couple of decent fixtures coming up as well after the international break. So build on it. Just try and get the balance absolutely right. Uh, As Marco pointed out after the game, Mm -hmm. from
1: Watford and Wolves at home last season, we got one point. Mm This season we've got six points. Is it just kind of, and uh, as Dave kind of alluded to there, is it just kind of winning these battles and and totting up the points and and seeing where it now leaves us?
3: Yeah, it's important. Like um, Dave mentioned, that you know the teams who, who be around you. I mean, you'd like to um, think that they could um, leave Watford in the, in their wake, but ultimately um, it is going to be a team around their part of the table, the, the the upper mid table pushing for those European places. And <clears throat> like you said last season just one point from those two fixtures. And even that was with a, a last gasp goal, wasn't it, against um, Watford. Um, so um, <clears throat> that was when we looked at this start of the season for Everton. There was a lot of positive fixtures, a lot of seemingly winnable fixtures, but um, I don't think any of them were fixtures that Everton had won last season. So that points uh how disappointing it was at times Yeah, L- last year, but these fixtures were seemingly seen as winnable. So yeah, it's one thing going at the start of the season when those fixtures come out saying oh yeah we we'll win that win that whatever but going out and, and winning them yeah and, and, and that's uh, that's what they've done Then gone into that international break and I think it is important when you haven't got a game for a couple of weeks to, 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 to have that feel good factor going away and um, fortunately yeah they, they were able to to Keep battling back and get that win.
0: The the flip side to that, of course, though, is uh, you look at the fixtures that we won last season. It's all very well saying, "Yeah, we're we're five points up on last season already." Last season, we beat Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, At Goodison. We've got to replicate those results. Mm -hmm. But what's like really giving me heart now is that Goodison is such a fortress. Now you're beginning to feel like any team going there is going to, you know, struggle. And it's not entirely down to the siren because, you know, so after you know, the siren and the initial 15 to 20 minutes, the atmosphere dipped a little bit, you know, sort of at the weekend. Uh, so it, it's just becoming a place where Everton feel strong and feel resolute. So, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to the next big one now. I don't want to dismiss Sheffield United, but City at the end of the month, you know, on Saturday night, that's going to be some atmosphere at that one. But, I mean, you mentioned like Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, with the way they've started the season. True. You know, if that, if that yeah. kind of form
2: continues, then... You know, you'd be back in Everton to be favourites in those kind yeah, of games. Yeah, you know? I'm making
0: the mistake of thinking of the the reputation of the clubs rather yeah. than the actual form at the moment. Yeah, because all three look gettable at the moment. Yeah. But so.
1: even assuming as well that we took no points from those games, which I'm almost 100 percent certain we won't, you still look at the amount of silly points we dropped last season. Those two games, Newcastle away, Fulham away. Huddersfield you know, are good, isn't it? Huddersfield yeah. are good. Th- there's a
2: lot of scope for for improvement, isn't there? Well, I think the Fulham away one is almost replicated by that Aston Villa one already this season. And, you know, you're hoping that that's just, you know, early season jitters, you know, we didn't have Keane and start, starting, we didn't have Delph, you know, he was so good at the weekend, we didn't have him starting either. So you're just hoping it's those kind of early season jitters that you can just get that out of your system. And hopefully, I think it was more disappointing towards the end of last season that we were playing so well at home, but we were dropping careless points, you know, uh, at Fulham, Uh, the one at Newcastle was really, really disappointing. So... You you got to, you've gotta hope by the towards the end of this season we won't be we won't be doing that again. And fingers crossed, like even after this international break, once all these new sign have had a bit more time to gel together, yeah uh, we'll we'll look even more solid. Dave, I know you were uh, Aston Villa and I'm sure you tuned in
1: for the for the Lincoln game and, and you were there at the weekend as well when the transfer window closed. We were all very excited. By a lot of evidence, by all of Everton's incoming transfers, and and Moise scheme was probably the standout one out of them. But you know, when Alex Awobi was confirmed, it was it was a little bit of a surprise, but he stood out, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, of all the signings, he's the one that's you know hit the ground running the quickest. And I only say that because Fabian Delph uh, has been injured and we've only seen him briefly because he's been monumental in the two games we've monumental. seen him so far. <laughs> but, you know, Alex Iwerby has hit the Well, Funny enough, you know, yeah, name drop time now. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking to the Everton, chairman at the weekend and uh, he asked about, he likes to throw in mad quiz questions. <laughs> son, son, what's the best bit of transfer business this summer? <laughs> That's and not thinking, really a quiz question. Um, it, you know, it goes, it's, it's a double-edged sword. No, no, it means like every football club in the Premier League. Right. There's, there's so many you could look at. But they're so excited about the money that was, you know, garnered for Garner Gay. Yeah. No pun intended. And uh, <laughs> you know, to spend a fraction of that on Fabian Delph, who is younger than Garner Gay, I think. Not much in it, I know, but you know, he's younger. Um, to me, he looks like a slightly classier operator. And like, everything he did, you know, sort of at the weekend was so so good. Yeah. Um, you know, nicking the ball when it mattered. Um, even like the, the tactical foul, which Manchester City specialize in, he seems <laughs> to have brought with him. Uh, he knitted the play together so well. A little bit over-ambitious on one or two occasions, that was all. But no, it was a great performance and um, really, really impressed with him. But yeah, of the three signings, Alex Iwobi is the one that has, you know, hit the ground running the fastest. He just adds a little bit of presence, uh, a little bit of physicality, as well as the ability he's got. And I feel, really feel for Bernard because he started the season well. And, you know, so I like him a lot. He's got great talent and he made a difference when he came on as well. But Iwobi just has that little bit extra presence and Great a goal threat. You know, he's not renowned for his goals with his head, but that's two now in two games. Yeah. And so if he's going to do that every week, Bernard's going to find it either harder to get back it or may have to try and think about, you know, so sort of getting in somewhere else in the team because um, he's hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, he's fully deserving of his place at the moment.
1: Do you, do you think then, B, is the, the front four that started at the weekend of, of Keane, Wobie, Sigurdsson and Richarlison, is that now Everton's strongest?
3: It, it's the strongest... Right now, but I think over the course of a, of a Premier League season, there's a, I think the good thing is, is that there are not, there are not options and you can you can mix it, it up a bit. Whether it's even Rashardson going down the middle at times, I mean, it's, like we've talked about, it's a very fluid um, quartet there. Um, if we're including Sigurdsson in there, and and it, the players can sw- switch wings and operate in different um, positions, even within the same game so yeah it does it is a different sort of proposition with Iwobi on the side it's actually I've been speaking to one of our colleagues at football.london today preparing a piece for later this week and we're talking about um, Iwobi he was always very popular um, within um, Arsenal with the, the, the managers he played under whether that was obviously most of the time under Wenger and then Emery last season who he was a regular with he um, was just almost underappreciated a bit by some of the supporters and um, he just didn't have that um, that um, final um, ball in really scoring as many goals as as he could have done. I mean, he scored that amazing one in the Europa League final, almost like a a parting shot. So to see him start at Everton and get a couple in a week, I mean, it's very promising. And what it does do, it keeps the other players on their toes. Like I said, there's nobody guaranteed a shirt now and there's a lot of competition for places there. Adam, surely then no coincidence
1: though that when Moise Keane and and Alex are added into the starting lineup, that we see... Gilfie Sigurdsson and Richarlison, not just their best performances this season, but
2: certainly for Richarlison, potentially their best performance in an Everton shirt. It's interesting, really, isn't it? Like we, I think we're seeing the start of a really good relationship between the likes of Awobi, Keane, and Richarlison. You know, they're all fairly similar ages, and you know, these just seem to have linked together so well already. I think what's interesting with Sigurdsson is that whenever Calvert Lewin tends to play, like we've spoke about it before on this podcast Calvert-Lewin tends to run the channels a lot and you know he's full of energy up front and that's that's great and everything don't get me wrong but it means that he's not centrally as much as he really should be and Keane was dropping back at times and trying to pick up the ball but a lot of the time he was central he was looking for that six yard box and I feel like that maybe gave Sigurdsson a bit more freedom to roam about a little bit. He wasn't thinking, oh, I need to be the man in the middle here yeah, because Calvert-Lewin's gone off over to that wing. Instead, it gave Sigurdsson the um, like the space and ability to be able to drop back, drop into the spaces in between the lines, between the Wolves' defence and midfield. And that's where he's... We, we've we always known that's where he hurts teams the most. And I think it's no surprise to me that that was his best performance that we've seen from him in a, a good long while. I wouldn't even say this season. I'd say a, a really long while. Because he was picking up the ball in those dangerous areas right outside the box, exactly where we want him to pick him up, pick them up. We saw for his cross, for Iwobi's goal, that kind of quality that he's got when he gets into that area. Even like playing little intricate passes in in mm. uh, on the edge of that box, inside the box, into a uh, into the likes of Keane. He just looks so dangerous every time he picked up the ball, and I think that's no surprise. You know, we have seen Iwobi and Keane come in, and you know the two physical presences as well as being, you know, full of energy, full of, I don't think Moise Keane stopped sprinting all all the time that he was yeah. on the pitch, which was really impressive. He even got his boot off him at
1: one point. He did,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it,
0: it, it was just really, really refreshing to see, I'd say. It's, it's funny you say that about Richarlison, you know, one of the best performances in a show. I thought he was poor at the weekend. Really? Yes. I think
2: I genuinely, yeah, I said in my analysis, I think
0: that's his best, game that he's yeah, ever had
2: for uh, on, on the ball in terms it's, of-
0: it's, yeah he gave the ball away too many times. He was over ambitious on occasions. For me, it underlined what a what a potentially has what quality he has that he can be a match winner and score two great goals I mean that first one was so much more difficult than it looked and uh, the the winning goal was just a classic centre-forward header absolutely loved it but I thought in between times you know stuff he was trying wasn't coming off and I just thought for him to you know be a match winner and have that kind of impact on a game where he's not at his best underlines what he is but yeah you know so I saw the marks afterwards, son. You know, I raised an eyebrow. so I didn't think he was that good. <laughs> but, you know, we see we see games differently. Uh, you know, so he, he was a match winner, despite, for me, not being at his best.
1: Wow. Is it not just a, a sign of a young player? He's going to kind of take on too much sometimes, isn't he? He oh, always does. does. And we've, we've said
0: before in here, he takes too much responsibility on his shoulders. You know, he tries, you know, to be the match winner every week. And it hurts him personally when he isn't, you know, when he gets dragged off, you know, yeah. so when he isn't performing, you know, so it really gets to him. And, uh, he, he festers, doesn't he? You know, so he broods, you know, so for a week. And so that'll be a big waste off his shoulders, you know, so having such a huge impact, you know, so in a game like that. And hopefully after. I'm playing this international break, are they? Hopefully, you'll have like a reasonable, you know, sort sure. break, and yeah. uh, you know, so you'll come back absolutely fresh and flying. But no, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of be critical of him here. I just, you know, cause I, I think he's a great player.
1: You've probably ruined but this poor out today, Prano. I,
0: no, I just, I just think, you know, he's played a lot better. Yes, he was a match winner for yeah. us. He's so. understanding a lot more English now, isn't he? Oh, he's yeah. doing, those, yeah. doing those lessons. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and just to, to stick with you for, for a moment, then, Prano, uh, you wrote a, a very good piece on it yesterday, but. Some bizarre comments from, from Graham Souness on, on Richarlison's oh, strike don't... partner, Moise Keane, and he's, he's came in for some for some criticism from
0: a large support of, of Everton fans. Completely understandable as well. It was just such a strange thought process. This is before the game. I mean, I didn't actually hear it. Uh, somebody sent it to me on a, a direct message with the actual video of it. And I'm listening to this at half-time. I'm thinking, the lad hasn't even kicked a ball yet. And, yeah. you know, what did he say? Alarm bells are ringing about him because Juventus have let him go? Well, Juventus didn't want to let him go. He had one year left on his contract. They thought, well, 28 million quid now rather than let him go for nothing. His agent is the same agent that allowed Paul Pogba's contract to run down at Manchester United. And yeah. so they knew the writing was on the wall here. He's not going to get a first team place regularly at Juventus because of the quality they have. You know, they've got Ronaldo, Manzukic, what have you, you know, so in the forward line there. And he wants to play. So I think it suited all parties for him to move on. So just infer, and I the inference for me was that there are issues, what was I afraid of is there are issues seemed to suggest that there were problems with his character that you know so there was a problem there which is why Juventus let him go I just found that absolutely baffling to suggest that so soon I mean looking back at Graeme Souness' record he had exactly the same experience himself now he was a a world class footballer Souness I know Gavin in here has said that you know he was uh, the best footballer he's ever seen play and you know so and Gavin you know sort of seen some great footballers play and you know so obviously given his royal blue leanings you know so it doesn't dispense praise like that you know so easily but Souness went to Tottenham Hotspur as a 19-year-old, and I think in his autobiography he said he got homesick, couldn't settle, didn't enjoy the experience, and went back to Middlesbrough. He then flourished became a world-class player. So, you know, would it be right to suggest that it issues with, you know, Sir sort of Graham Sooner? Should alarm bells have been ringing in our head back then? Of course not. I just think it was so premature, it was so unnecessary, and it totally fed, you know, sort of this feeling that Evertonians have, that there's some kind of, you know, sort of pro-Liverpool bias amongst a lot of the, uh, the televised media. I mean, there's so many of their former players on television all the time. And it's very easy to think there's a bit of bias at work, eh, rather than cold, logical, clear thinking, because there's nothing cold and logical about suggesting that Moyes Keane has got problems at Juventus and they were happy to let him go. So that's why I wrote the piece that I did. I, I, was, I thought it was unfair, grossly unfair.
1: Well said, very well said. Moving on from the players on the pitch... Beers, two men who, who didn't quite make the, the cut mm. at the weekend. Tom Davies and, quite surprisingly, Theo Walcott as well.
3: Where, where do you think their Everton careers couldn't, couldn't lie? Uh, I see them both as, um, as as squad players, but neither of them in the first eleven when everyone's fit. That doesn't mean, like I said, over again, over the course of a Premier League season, there won't be plenty of opportunities for both. Um, I think whereas Davies is a coming force for the future and one who, who can build on it. He's very um, well-rated by the manager. Who obviously gave him the captain's armband on a number of occasions last season. A bit strange with Walcott, though, because when he came from Arsenal, came up to Everton, he'd expect to be one of the big players at Everton. Started very brightly, um, those those early games, was it? Um, Leicester City, was yeah, it? Um, and he scored there. And um, looked very promising those first few weeks. Thought, oh, well, there's still a bit more in the tank there after his long stint at Arsenal, but it's quickly gone downhill for him um, now in respect that um, he's not one of the first 11 now. There seem to be more dependable, more consistent wide players in there. And I think it's strange in that I'm not too sure how happy I'd be if I I was in his shoes after the, you know, the stellar career he's had. He's been a big star since he was a very, a very young age, obviously a, a teenage sensation back in the noughties. But, um, You'd think it's not like he's coming to like the real autumn end of his career. He's only just into his 30s now. So I'm not too sure what he does. Is he, is he happy playing that bit part role? Because I, I don't see him, him getting particularly many more opportunities than he's getting at the moment. I don't know if wages are an issue. He's, he's obviously on decent wages there getting, getting him off the book, so It's just not an option. But it just seems strange, really, that I think he does at this moment in time, we spoke about all those options in the wide areas, Destined to play a bit part role, and, and he, personally, if I was him, I, I, I think that's coming a little too too soon for him. So I'm, I'm not too sure where that one goes, to be honest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Bees makes an interesting point, really, Adam. I think it's kind of well known that Theo Walcott is one of the the highest earners at Everton. But you know, how happy can you be? You know, he, he was pictured arriving at Goodison. At the weekend, he was obviously the, the the man left left out of the squad. Do you think it kind of poses an an interesting question about
2: where his future could lie? Uh, I think it like in terms of this weekend, it will have been a late decision. I think Marco Silver always takes twenty players, I think it is uh, to each match, and then uh, he makes a late decision on who's going to make the bench and who's not. And it'll be a similar situation as to when how Tom Davis was left out. Uh, in midweek in that game against Lincoln you know he didn't want to put as many midfielders on the bench uh, in that match as he could so he only used Andre Gomez I think this time around he wanted to maybe use a couple, couple of midfielders on the bench but instead he didn't want to have so many forwards did he have Tosin and Calvert-Lewin on the bench uh, and Bernard as well yeah, Bainsey
0: was missing as well wasn't he? Yeah. yeah
2: but he was at the stadium along with, yeah. along with Tom Davis So yeah, it is it is interesting, and I think in terms of in terms of Walcott in particular, you know, he was one of Silver's you know main men when yeah, only missed one Premier League game last season, and he's on the bench for them. Yeah, he first first came when Silver first came to the club. You know, I I remember thinking towards the start of last season. You know, he bagged that goal against South Southampton. Scored a really good goal away to Mm -hmm. Bournemouth, really good finish. And I remember thinking, I remember being sat in the stand in Bournemouth, thinking to myself. Right, are we now going to see? This could be a season. Is, this, is this now yeah, going to be like a off It's on the verge of an England recall, according to yeah, some. where he's a bit consistent, maybe bags us 10, 15 goals, you know, from the wing. But again, like this, the same thing, you know, we've seen it so many times at Arsenal over the years. The same thing struck him. It was just that inconsistency, that not being able to produce that quality in the final third that we need. And ultimately, now Everton have got players who are just better at doing that on a consistent basis. Let's say Bernard's better at it, Richarlison's better, Iwobi's better. You know, we've got some really exciting players in that position now. And, you know, by all accounts, from wherever we talk to Silver, he says that Theo Walcott's one of the hardest workers in training. And I don't doubt that at all. You know, as B said, he's been a really he's been a big player since he was about the age of sixteen. I think he went to yeah, yeah. an England tournament at the age of sixteen, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, he's he's had this work ethic in him from a young age. So I don't doubt that he's absolutely a hard worker, but he needs to start like showing that on the pitch again. You know, whenever he's making these sorts of substitute appearances, he needs to start making an impact in those appearances, you know, start beating a few players, start scoring a few goals, start setting up a few goals. Because at the minute he's coming on for like the last 10, 15 minutes and he's just running about and really not impacting the game at all. And, you know, he's only going to drop further and further down the pecking order, if that's the case. Is that the major
1: worry then, Prano, that, you know, you're looking at what we've discussed there about who Everton's kind of best front four is. At the moment, is Walcott even coming into that equation? When is his next opportunity to force
0: his way back? It it, it might be a worry for Theo Walcott, but it shouldn't be a worry for Everton Football Club because it just underlines, you know, sort of the strength and depth that the club now has. That You know, a player who was, like you say, a first-team regular only like 12 months ago, is suddenly surplus to requirements, and that's because you know other players are performing better than him. Um the other two players that we mentioned, Tom Davis and Layton Baines, who were not, you know, even on the bench at the weekend, again underlines that there's decent strength in depth, you know, so which is good. cuts well, a tricky one because I always you always have this like you know slight concern about footballers that have started their careers so young, you know, 16 years old, yeah. playing first team football. And, and burnout's a bit of a, you know, a, a flippant phrase to use, but you know, there's so many miles under the clock. Run is it steam. Yeah, exactly. Is it more difficult? I mean, I think we saw it happen, you know, with, with Wayne Rooney. I can't think of many 16-year-olds that are still going strong in the 30s. James Milner's probably the one that, you know, breaks the trend, mm. but I can't think of too many. Uh, Trevor Francis may be going back a long time now, uh, but it is, it's something that, you know, it's very, very difficult to maintain those levels over a long period. Um, so yeah, whilst Theo has got every right to you know be a little bit concerned about what the future may hold, it shouldn't concern Everton because you know it just underlines again how you know strong the squad is. And in terms of
1: Tom Davis, Adam, I think we've we've spoken a lot about Tom on this podcast, and you know he has been a, a, a kind of talking point between Evertonians now for for probably the best part of eighteen months, two years. But but last season to go from being given the captain's armband and and kind of featuring you know at least semi. Regularly, to not making the cut in a Carabao Cup game for tactical reasons, for not making the cut in a Premier League game a few days later, it, is it also be, is it almost becoming a, a bit of a conundrum for for what next for both him and Everton? Because he is only young, is is he still at that age where you know might the club have to consider a, a loan move, or is it is it just about biding your time with Tom and, and
2: building his confidence back up? I don't know. I, I think it. A lot of it will be down to confidence. I think it was a bit of a shame, you know, when we got to a certain stage last season, it was just before we had that big long break and then we came back in really good form. But before that, I thought Tom Davis was playing quite well. He played well against Huddersfield. Yeah. Thought he was one of our better players when in that home defeat to Man City as well, just before that little break. And I thought, okay, this is mm. this is the start of a Tom Davis trying to stake his claim for this midfield and then Suddenly, after that break, it was Morgan Schneiderlin who was given given the nod by Silver, and then you know, obviously Schneiderlin took took that position for his own for the rest of that season. So since then, Tom Davis hasn't really had a look in. I think maybe he was maybe he was affected a little bit badly by in season He was used as an attacking midfielder. Yep. Essentially, he was used as Sigurdsson's backup. Where. You know, like at one stage, I, I did think to myself, oh, maybe he will be Sigurdsson's back, maybe he will be challenging Sigurdsson for this season. But now that we've brought in Alex Awobi, you know, obviously Bernard can play in that position now as well. It's It seems to be a bit, well, it, it it doesn't look like he's going to get into that position. So then you look a bit further back into the midfield and you've got, at, at the minute, you've got Gabamon who's injured, but you've got and Gomez and Delph who are all, you know, really, really... Good footballers, but if you're Tom Davis, you've got to look at that and think to yourself, "Well, I offer, I offer something different than all those players." So it's all about just showing the manager what he can do in training, making sure he's back on that bench again, and then you know, it's in in a similar vein to what I was saying to Walcott when he does get those opportunities on off the bench, he needs to start impacting games and really showing what he can do because ultimately that's the only way he's going to get. Get himself in favour again. He's got to be showing that on on the pitch in Premier League football matches. Now, he might he might get the chance to show that against Sheffield Wednesday in a couple of weeks. You know, Silver might want to switch up his options on the bench or, or in the first team or whatever. We don't know the situation, but I do hope he gets chances from uh, now until the end of the season because you know he's shown when he first broke through into the team, he is such an exciting footballer when he's mm. got that confidence behind him and when he's got that support behind him. So I, I do really hope he can rediscover that because I feel like he's been a bit, of a bit of a victim of circumstance over the last couple of years. You know, when he he broke through and then obviously Koeman had his troubles and went and Allardyce came in and, you know, it wasn't Tom's fault that he was used in a defensive midfield role. Uh, but that's that's the way that's the way it all fell and you know I feel like last season you know the way he got dropped from the team it wasn't necessarily his fault that he got dropped either so yeah I, I, I still have a lot of faith in tom davis that he can be a really really good footballer for everton and i do hope he can just realize that confidence again like in the next few months
1: well last night the moving on a little bit the, the transfer window now the European transfer window has now closed and, and Everett managed to secure a season-long loan deal for Yannick Bellassi at Sporting Lisbon. If you take a little look back, you know, Alex Awobi, Moise Keane, Andre Gomez, Jean-Philippe Gabamon, Fabian Delph, Jibril Sidibe and Jonas Lossel were all signed. Everett managed to get yeah, Keaton Dahl, Mohammed Bessic, Matthew Pennington and Luke Garbit loans. Shani Tadajai went out as well. Another loan for Sandro Ramirez, Henry Onyekuru, and Nikola Vlasic both left on permanent deals. Bees, Kuko Martina and Umanias managed to survive another summer. Is that what we call it? (laughs) How how disappointed do you think Marcel and and Marco will be that it's another two players left on on the wage budget? And do you think it's been a successful summer transfer window
3: overall? Um, Successful transfer window? Yes, apart from the rather glaring caveat, and I hope it's not Similar to the absence of getting a striker in twenty seventeen of yeah. the centre back not getting a centre back, that's the glaring omission if we look at the the overall business. Um hopefully I mean it all depends on, on injuries, doesn't it, in the in the in the months ahead. If if they're fortunate, they might just manage to get away with that to January, but it's concerning. So overall, yeah. But um just have to wait and see on that centre back issue. It is concerning. Um in regards to those two players. Who, who are still there. I mean, I think this is the problem with all of those kind of um, players in that I'm sure that there were lots of teams who would like to take them on but the wages is the big issue because in the first place they're probably on such big wages for the kind of teams who would take them on maybe that that step below Everton really, whether they're playing in one of Europe's um, lesser leagues and they just can't afford those Premier League wages so it's, it's not like they've become pariahs overnight and nobody wants to touch Yannick Belasi with a barge pole. It's the fact that they just can't afford those wages. So they're fortunate they've got they've they've got um, Yannick out the door again for um, obviously he had that he infamously returned early from Villa last year and then went to Andlex. But Umar um, um, Nias almost seems destined to, to, to see out his, his, his contract. <laughs> and maybe maybe, you know, maybe Umar another and, chance. He might do, you <laughs> know, you know he, he's made to have it um writing people off he's he, he you know he's certainly not not orthodox in anything that he does who <laughs> and uh cuckoo, martina I, fe- I mean i feared he's he's way down the pecking order um i think whenever he was called upon he he he's he certainly wasn't as bad as he as he was ma- made out to be and he ended yeah. up doing you know a very um Honest, and uh, i say uh, that's probably doing him down. When he switched over at left-back um, season before last, he ended up even providing a couple of assists. I yeah, remember that, that yeah. season. It's the equivalent of Baines getting a couple of assists on his right foot, you think about it in that respect. But I don't see where he comes back in regards to the Everton first team. I mean, if he is called upon, I'm, I'm sure you know he's not going to be awful. He would he would do a job. But I just think, for again, for Kuko's um, point of view, I'm, I'm not too sure what sort of a season that is for him. Um, just hanging around at Everton, and, and it's a, it's a shame that you you do have um, players in these situations. But again, it's just a throwback to um, the, the lack of strategy under the previous um, managerial um, regime of Cummins uh, and Walsh.
1: Davey, are you on the same lines as as Beezus? A successful summer window, just missing out that centre back.
0: Successful in terms of incomings, yeah. With that, you know, very notable caveat, uh, but. Outgoings and Farhad Mashiri made it clear he wanted to try and recoup, you know, significant sums of money this summer, and it's only been a partial success in that respect. Yeah, um, you know, Yannick Balassi I don't know how much of our wages we're having to foot at Sporting Lisbon, but it will certainly be a chunk of them. Uh, losing Kevin Morales was was decent I mean, yeah, yeah, that's been a long time coming, but you know, so he's now off the payroll permanently. Uh, but the fact that the two guys you mentioned there who aren't going to play any part whatsoever Still on uh, in the senior setup, you know, they'll be turning up on yeah, Monday night, presumably playing in the under twenty threes. Do you know what I mean even that then prevents you know so good promising young footballers from getting a, a run out. So that's disappointing. Uh, because, you know, clearly they don't have a part in Marco Silva's planning and yet they're still there on the payroll. It's frustrating, but you can't do anything about it. It is something to do with, you know, the huge sums of money that were lavished on them when they were brought in, you yeah. know, for strange reasons that were beyond all of us in this room uh, at that time. So, uh, no, it's, it's frustrating. But it's something we have got to live with, unfortunately. You know, maybe in January we can start this rigmarole all over again and try and try and finally lose them because you know what do they do? They just turn up and train for you know four or five days a week, and they're not even going to be playing football at the weekend, are they? It must be as frustrating for them. Yeah, uh, I, I was just about for,
2: to say I I feel ultimately sorry for the pair of them because yeah. at the end of the day they're they're two footballers who will not be playing football in a, on a regular basis.
1: It's honest lads, the good say,
0: lads. Yeah, yeah. Certainly I'll, I'll take up playing train
1: for 50 grand a week. Don't uh, I know, <laughs> people, people will always look at money. Push me to do it. And I know, oh, I know. I'll I'll know. Go. That,
0: but, but, you know, it's a, a problem not of their making, you know, so they yeah, were bought by yeah. Everson Football Club yeah. and uh, aren't being used. So, you know.
1: If if at the start of the window, Adam, no, I think if if people would have said to Everton fans, we'd we'd get rid of Morales, Balassi. And on and Onyokuro, three of them on a, on a payment deal. Would you have probably taken that? Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, uh, I do agree with a lot of what Preno said. I think, you know, getting getting these players off the wage bill by any means necessary was probably right. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's a shame that some of them are still loans. I think, you know, like to Sandro and Balassi. you know, they're on big money, so uh, Everton will still be paying a chunk of those sort of wages while they're away for a year. So that that is a shame, but I think all in all, you've got to look at this transfer window as a success. I think we've reduced the size of the squad, which is what Silver and Brands have always wanted to do. And we've increased the quality in the first team, which I think was absolutely necessary. The one caveat, as be said, is not bringing on that centre-back. And I'm sure that will be something that will be addressed, if not in January, then in the summer. I think Brands would have to go... Against what he usually does, if he was going to do it in January, so maybe he might be more likely to see it in the summer, but we don't know what situations might arise from then until, well, from now until then. But yeah, I think I think it's been an absolutely great transfer window for Everton. Absolutely I'd, I'd, great transfer. Window. I'd, I'd go that far. Yeah,
1: Dave. In terms of of Morales, who, who kind of left this week, probably one of the most bizarre <laughs> modern Everton careers. I mean, even until I'd say the Season we finished fifth under Roberto Martinez, we're still a quite celebrated figure amongst the fans yeah, yeah. And, and a popular figure. But to, to crash and burn would probably be an, an understatement. In well, terms it's
0: funny, of we were where I was on Saturday afternoon when the news broke that he'd gone, so I was with a few blues and we started talking about you know Morales. And someone goes, Remember that goal at Tottenham? Oh, wow, yeah, remember that goal at home Stoke? to Stoke? Oh, wow, yeah, remember that performance in the Goodison Derby, oh. yeah, where he actually Andre Wisdom was being tormented, yeah. And someone said, yeah, the turning point then was when Luis Suarez rigged his studs down as Achilles and he went off at half time injured and, you know, didn't quite, you know, carry that momentum on when he came back again. And I'm not so sure it's as simplistic as that, but he did have, you know, that incredibly bright start where he looked an absolute talent. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a huge goal scorer in the Greek League. I mean, Olympiakos, was it 40-odd goals in a season? I'm yeah. thinking, wow, what, what kind of player have we got here? And he couldn't quite transform, you know, that... Um, prolific, you know, sort of goal-scoring spell into the Premier League. But he did score good quality goals and he scored reasonably frequently. But no, consistency was always the issue and he could never seem to, you know, sort of keep that consistency going. And fans just got more and more frustrated in the end because those bright spots and those wonder goals became less and less frequent. And certainly for the last two or three seasons, we've just seen a player going through the motions, to be honest, who, you know, didn't really... Looked like he had the enthusiasm for it anymore. Obviously, that incident on the training pitch with Morgan Schneider didn't do him any favours either. Uh, so it all turned a little bit sour. But we shouldn't forget that, you know, for a spell, he was a very, very bright footballer. He did score some, you know, some really big goals and he was a talent. It just didn't last long enough, unfortunately. Didn't help himself with the links away yeah. as well when he was actually
2: playing well. You know, flirtations with Tottenham, especially Belgian players
1: the, flirting with um, moves away like,
2: over the course of a couple of transfer windows. I think that you know, Everton fans don't forget stuff like that, do they? Right. Especially then, when you when you come back and you, you've stayed at Everton and your consistency levels drop, like Everton fans are never going to forget that.
1: And and Balassi, bees. Do you do you think that maybe if he if he wouldn't have suffered that quite devastating injury, could we have seen an, a, another side of him? Or do you think? It was it was always bound to be a bit of a mistake from yeah. from the
3: outset. Um, I wasn't a particularly big fan of him, but I'm sure it played a massive part. It was a horrible injury, yeah. and it was only just as he was getting going at Everton. I mean, I, I looked at his pedigree, track record before he went to Everton, and obviously a lot of Everton and even Liverpool fans remember he's put on quite a few decent performances in Merseyside, and that sort of seemed to catch the eye. But if you looked at his overall career, been something of a, a journeyman, played for a few. Sort of bizarre small teams before um sort of making it at Palace, and um, it did seem quite a lot f- for a player of that particular pedigree. So you know, I'm not trying to be all clever in retrospect, but no, I I wasn't um, an amazing um, Balassi fan when he when he did come in there, but it, it undoubtedly played a, a massive. Um, massive impact on his, his Everton career. I mean, it was it was a horrible injury. And uh, to be fair, he, he got back and he played quite a bit of football when he did come back. I mean, under Sam Allardyce there, he he got quite a few um, minutes under his, his belt. But um, now it, it, it's a strange one. In fact, he's still got another two years to run on his contract. So like we said, you I mean, he could do this year, which is probably going to be still heavily supplemented by, by Everton. And he's still got another year to run on the contracts. Just to finish then,
1: Dave, I'll ask you this, to to finish on a bit of a positive Richarlison's header up there with some of the (laughs) the great Goodison headers, surely.
0: It it was a great goal, yeah, it was. It was... uh... Because, as I've never made any secret of the fact that Bob Latchford is my lifelong sporting idol, absolutely adore the man. And it was his ability to get across and in front of defenders, which marked him out from so many of his uh, peers, and his contemporaries at the time. And Richarlison did that so well. Was it Bolly? He, he out-jumped. Yeah. yeah. And um, people are saying, oh, Bolly's a bit flat footed there. No, give the centre forward some credit there. Um, you got to give Lucas Dean absolute credit as well, because he just delayed okay. the cross just sufficiently. And then it was absolutely quality quality ball in that just demanded to be attacked and he did he he was on the run he got in front of the defender really well Uh, he was still a long way out he was about 12 yards out so he had to get decent power behind it he had to get good accuracy to it and don't forget Rui Patricio had had a great game up until that point and he made two really good saves already and he just wasn't getting near it it was a great goal a really great header and um, you know it's just it underlines you know sort of how much the guy has to his game you know he can dribble he can run he can shoot and he can head the ball as well you know so he's, he's got pretty much everything uh, but no great centre forward's goal uh, you know so all that was missing was a number nine on his back <laughs> <laughs> and
1: Adam the the new the new the new banner in the Gladys seat, what did you think of that the little Everton Beatles? beetles
2: it's good wasn't it, it was? I like <laughs> yeah I like that uh, I'm I'm starting to like these new banners for every game uh, yeah. next home game is going to be the Sheffield United one isn't it so we're going to see that Moyes Keane banner so I'm looking. For, I'm looking oh, forward. It's okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. But uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm loving the, the amount of work that's going on in the Gladys Street. You know, I loved. You know what happened in the first game of the season with flags all over the ground. So I'm hoping that maybe that'll spread around to other areas of the stadium at some point.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us, everyone, to the international weekend coming up but we will be back later in the week for another discussion Chris, Dave, Adam thank you so much for joining me hope hope you enjoyed it you can rate, review and subscribe over on Acast and on the Facebook page the Royal Blue Podcast thank you very much for listening
2: you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo